Welcome to the Midwest Strong Powerlifting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to shining a spotlight on local lifters, coaches, and gym owners in the Midwest. My name is Aaron, and I will be your host for today. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the inaugural episode of the Midwest Strong Powerlifting Podcast. Today, I interview Dr. John Hager. He is a practicing physical therapist in northern Minnesota. John has an extensive background with over 12 years of powerlifting and strength-related training. John is board certified as an orthopedic specialist in physical therapy, and he also has a certified strength and conditioning specialist through the NSCA. John has a very deep background with both strength and rehab, and he offers some really unique insights. We also explore some of the training methods that he utilizes, along with his goals in powerlifting. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Alrighty, so... John, again, super glad to have you on here with this new podcast, just to hear some thoughts and learn a little bit more about rehab and strength and kind of how that balances together. So just to know you a little bit better for the audience, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into lifting. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me on here, especially so early. Um, So I'm John. I'm a physical therapist in St. Cloud, Minnesota. I grew up uh, local to St. Cloud always played football and sports and all that through my whole life had quite a few different injuries um, that always put me in the training room. So that's where I kind of got the interest in doing physical therapy as a, as a career choice. Um, Thought about playing college football, decided, nah, I don't really want to do that. I actually just like working out quite a bit more. Um, So got into college and kept going with like uh, football style workouts. Got to a point pretty late in my college career where I was gaining quite a bit of weight. I didn't know anything about nutrition. Um, said, you know what? I want to lose a couple pounds, tried to diet, couldn't really do it. Couldn't stick to it. Had no motivation to do so whatsoever. And then I said, okay, well, I looked at powerlifting weight classes, like 231 or 105 kilos, probably pr- quite a bit of a stretch, but maybe I can get there with a little bit of effort. So then I committed to doing a couple powerlifting competitions, cut a bunch of weight, make, made the cuts. And then did you know three or four powerlifting competitions in my career so when was your first uh, powerlifting competition um so my first one was in 2015 maybe i don't remember <laughs> off the top of my head uh it was in hudson wisconsin it was a, it was the first it was the inaugural wisconsin open um i drove all the way from bismarck north dakota across minnesota to go compete in hudson just to get all the way over there so, so um, one that they have in the hotel yeah, that's when they had the hotel oh. with the pound plates. Yes, um, I did that. Everyone, everyone uh, gives so much of a hard time for that. Yeah. You were there? Yeah, uh, I think I did it one year after you. That was also my Okay. Party. Yeah, that was sweet. So <laughs> I almost I almost competed at that one. I was actually registered for the 2016. Um, but then I ended up jacking up my shoulder pretty good, and I couldn't bench press at all. And I said, I already have a poverty bench press, so I don't really need to go there and do less than I already did last year. So. Um, but that's, that's kind of been the story of my powerlifting career too. Like I've signed up for probably five or six meets that I haven't been able to go to. Um, first one I did, I was going to compete with Amanda Lawrence at the twin ports route open in 2016. And then I ended up breaking my ankle. So Shoot. she went there. Yeah. She went there all by her lonesome without me to do her first, second powerlifting meet. I think it was her first USAPL meet, but that was 20, that was like 2016. You said 16. Yeah. Yep. That wasn't even that long ago. That's pretty crazy. No. Yeah. So it was, it was super weird because I was stronger than I ever was that day in my life. I squatted a PR that morning before I broke my ankle. 
And then I was non-weight bearing for six to seven weeks. I don't recall. Um, got the clearance to start weight bearing again, did not get the clearance to start squatting again, but I went back to the gym anyways. And I think within five or six weeks of squatting of, uh, weight bearing. So I was squatting again, I was pulling PRs again. Um, well, nice. I couldn't walk normal, had a, had a nasty limp, but I was, I was squatting PRs at that point. So. And I love some of that movement, especially, <laughs> um, yeah. were, you, were you a PT at that time then when you broke your uh, no, I was a senior, uh, third year student for DPT programming. Um, I was up doing a bunch of stuff and then uh, on, a, on a vacation or a weekend and then broke my ankle and then had to do my last clinical rotation walking around on a pirate leg. So I was all patient. Yeah, dude, it was legit. It was, it was janky. I was walking around. I had a, it was, a, I walked two crutch, handsless crutch, walking around on that peg leg for six weeks. And every single patient that walked in the door is like, well, I think I need to treat you. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. But. I was going to ask if you ever had any ankle <laughs> patients, did your rehab together? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so that's fantastic. So that's actually kind of a perfect bridge. Um, so something that I was interested in talking to you about and just kind of picking your brain on was, you know, you mentioned that you had broke your ankle and it was, you were still limping, but like you were mm. hitting PRs, which is like, no, yep. um, yeah. Yes. Not recommended. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. Um, do as I say, not as I do. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, so now that you've been practicing uh, for a few years, uh, how have you seen, you know, like the strength and conditioning world kind of influence your views on rehab? Yeah, for sure. It, um, so I was a personal trainer most of the way through PT school, obviously working out and all that stuff uh, prior to that. So I have, I have a, I would say a bit more experience and a bit more biases um, than your average DPT coming in with, uh, you know, like a biology undergrad degree or something like that. Um, you're taught traditional DeLorme periodization. And then there's another one, I can't remember the name of it. And uh, basically that's about it, but it boils down to you eventually are always prescribing three sets of 10 reps with a yellow TheraBand for, for 90% of what you do, um, yeah. yep. which works really, really well for maybe about 10% of the population. Um, a little bit more, who, who knows? I don't, I don't know the statistics whatsoever, but you know, what I started to realize very early in my career was I was prescribing these exercise parameters that I was taught by people who didn't know how to work out, learned it in school, didn't really question or call into, call into question why things don't work. If it, if it didn't work, it was on the patient and all that kind of stuff. So after I'd say probably six to nine months, in my career, I really started to change the way that I prescribed exercises to fit more of a periodization schema. Um, and I think that's starting to get me more results at this point. I'm not 100% sure it, it, you know, it really is just 100% practice you trial and error and all that stuff with, with most people, you, you have an idea of what works, what may work, and then just get that foundation established and push them forward. So, yeah, I know I, I, uh, listened to a really good rehab podcast and they were talking about um, underdosing, which, um, mm -hmm. aren't like rehab junkies underdosing just kind of means you're not really getting enough. You're, you're just not really getting enough. Um, mm -hmm. a good example with like what John was saying. Um, I put into a lifting example, like say, if, say if you have the ability to squat 315 for 10, but you're only squatting 135 for 10, like you're, you're just not really going to get yep. results because you're not, you're not pushing your body quite enough. So yep. I think 
so I'm, I'm still, I'm in my last year of school, um, but I know that there's definitely starting to be some discussion yeah. in academics about underdosing and how, yep. you know, it's important to start to actually match your patients with where they're at. So, yeah, for sure. I think, honestly, I think the biggest misconception is that if something hurts, you shouldn't do it, um, which obviously we're fighting that day in and day out with just doing regular workouts, let alone, let alone providing patient care. Um, but I think that's where you get the watered down, like three sets of 10 at a pretty high intensity. You can get some pretty good hypertrophy, uh, tendon adaptation, ligament adaptation, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but if you're not pushing that intensity to the, to the 70% range, you're, you're, you're really kind of just, um, you know, treading water at that point, you're not pushing the bar forward. Um, what I find, what I, what I tend to practice or what I find with people, I usually start them off with like a linear periodization approach. Every single time that they come in, I'm trying to progress a um, number of repetitions with the same intensity. And then once they get to a certain point, then I'll, I'll decrease the repetitions and then increase the uh, intensity again. And then just linearly periodize that until they start showing me that they're not getting super fatigued or anything. Um, and then kind of push the bar forward. And I would say that probably captures about 50% of my, of my MSK population where they can make good progress with that for, for the duration of their care. Awesome. So just to touch on um, one thing that you had mentioned, you were saying that, you know, you encourage and you promote an environment that, you know, you know, adequately um, challenges people to help them get mm -hmm. in, in an appropriate way, but yep. I'm you stress people are hurt. Yeah, exactly. But because people are hurt and like, because um, you know, I don't blame anybody. If it hurts, you don't want to yep. do it. Like if I hurt my back squatting, my, my natural tendency is like, I, I just don't really want to do it. Um, even with like a lot of current, like evidence and things like telling, Hey, like squatting, you know, maybe that's actually good for me to do, um, at a controlled level that'll help me. But my natural tendency is to not want to do it. And like, that's even being educated. So, um, in a very like condensed version, how do you typically approach that for someone? If they are like, I hurt my back doing X, um, yeah. just in a condensed version, uh, what yeah. do you handle that? So I'll make it as, uh, as condensed as I can. That's, that's pretty, I would say, um, pretty tough for me to condense it down, but you know, it really depends first and foremost, where the patient is at with their injury and what they're doing. If it's something that's relatively acute, less than four weeks old. Uh, yeah, I'm usually saying, okay, avoid the things that hurt, but stay active elsewhere and work everything else that's around the area. So yeah, if, if barbell back squatting is causing you pain and you had an acute injury less than a month ago, probably avoid that, but I'm certainly going to try and train that squat pattern with something else. So, um, front squats, if possible, goblet squats, pistols, um, even like I'll go so far as to put someone on a TRX and just have them do body weight squats on that, which is, you know, not super challenging, but really just trying to get that movement pattern in. Um, so I'll, I'll adapt around it if it's a relatively acute injury. When you start to get the things that are a bit more chronic, um, it depends on what their orthopedic presentation looks like. If they have a, a specific deficit somewhere, like ankle dorsiflexion is a huge one. If people don't have that, you're not going to squat properly. Um, and a lot of folks are missing that. You know, I, it's tougher. I really don't like to generalize across all populations. It's, it's, it's tough for me yeah. to make statements like that, but that is one that I see that's pretty common. If, if someone can't dorsiflex very well, they don't squat very good. Um, so when you get to the more chronic nature of symptoms, then I get a little bit more into that graded exposure of, okay, let's find some way to get you as close as possible to a barbell back squat um, with as little load as possible that is tolerable for you. 
Um, and then if I can, if I can't find that, then I'm doing the next closest alternative, a front squat. And then, you know, there's, there, I use different filters in terms of movement selection, but say they can tolerate a barbell back squat with 135. They're strong enough to do more, but it hurts. I would spend quite a bit of time doing volume at the rate, at the um, intensity that they can tolerate and then see if that helps with adaptation to that load stimulus. And then I would gradually periodize and build that up over time. So yeah, it, awesome. it really just, yeah, it really depends on the person and, and the time frames of healing and adaptation for what they have going on. So. No, that's, that's awesome. I think even just kind of like echo um, a thought, I know that I've started to notice some in, in a way you'll see where I'm going with this. I've started to notice some parallels with, you know, like, so you were just saying like, if they can't squat, at least get them as close to a squatter, you know, train, like train what they can tolerably handle without causing more damage. I think that it's just interesting how like rehab is moving, starting to move in that direction. And I think that in its own respect in the strength world with powerlifting, especially in the last couple of years with like just RPE and like auto regulation catching on, it kind of also in its own way kind of trends towards that um, lift in a manner that's tolerable. So you're not like killing yourself. And uh, some, there's starting to be some studies that like show that you can, because you can tolerate more, like you're going to probably get more strength out of it. And it might be a little bit longer lasting. Like you don't, you can train kind of submaximal and get fantastic. Results. Yeah. So yep. yeah, there's a, um, there's a couple points that I want to take away from that. My, my bias, I, I'm a big Dan John guy. So if you haven't read, I mean, he's pretty articulate. He's got a lot of stuff out there, but he, he programs movement patterns, functional movement patterns. And I don't remember if he has the big five or the big six. Um, John Russin's another guy that does functional movement patterns and all that kind of stuff. Uh, squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, carry. Usually when I'm treating someone for an orthopedic injury, I'm, I'm trying to filter my exercises through that foundation of movement patterns, you know, appropriately. Depend, I'm, I'm limited by insurance. I can't be teaching somebody how to do bench press when they're coming to me with a knee injury, but, um, <laughs> my ankle, hurts. you know, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I filter, I filter things through that. I find something in that movement category that I can try and build up that they can tolerate and all that kind of stuff. So that's usually my foundation for, for folks that are in pain. Um, the, the RPE training, the auto-regulation training, I actually just saw quite an interesting article. I haven't had the time to dig really deep into it, but they're looking at auto-regulation for um, patellar, no, uh, Achilles tendinopathy, I believe it was, and that auto-regulation had a better overall result. The patient selected uh, volume and loading parameters, so how many reps and how much weight they were doing with the exercise, as compared to a, a traditional, like, um, Alfredson's protocol, three sets of 15, twice a day for eccentrics on the Achilles tendon. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, or just heavy and slow loading that was periodized and, and specifically planned out for them. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that RP, I think that there's like, it's so early, but I definitely think that there's starting to be some, some wheels churning with RPE, even in the real yeah. world. And yep. like, I know that I know some coaching organizations, uh, like, Arbo medicine would be one of them. Like I know they're, they're yeah. starting to come up with some principles where it's like just some generalized stuff where it's like, if you like, like using RPE to regulate your pain basically. And mm -hmm. being like, okay, like if I did a set of five as a warm up, like, and my pain didn't change, well, I'm still okay. Like if it got worse, yep. it could probably go down a little bit. Yep, yep. It's, it's another way to promote movement 
and promote movement that's relatively specific to what you're still trying to do. So, yeah. So yeah, full dis full disclaimer here. I'm not treating anyone's injuries or anything like that, but in the clinic, that's, that's one that I use very commonly. You go in, you do an exercise movement and your pain doesn't change. That's a green light. Go ahead, keep going. Uh, you go in and it makes you like three, four, five out of 10 raises you up quite a bit. Okay. That's probably something that you shouldn't be doing uh, right now. Back it up a little bit and see, you know, talk to me about it. Um, and then if it's like, yeah, it makes me a little uncomfortable, but I quit doing the movement and it, and it goes away. Well, then yeah, that's, you, you can probably keep going with that activity. So. I think I heard about that Achilles tendinopathy program. I didn't actually mm -hmm. check it out, but I think I saw the headliner for that. So maybe I'll have to give that. A yeah. yeah. So um, training for yourself. What's, what has training been like uh, just with, uh, you know, I mean, you're a busy guy. Um, mm. Those like, there are many busy professions out there and um, uh, physical therapy is definitely one of them. Um, you know, if you let it and so, I mean, you're, your family guy, you got, you know, PT, uh, you still avidly train. What's training been like for you kind of this last year, just with COVID and lockdowns, stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I went through, I was trying to lose weight from October of 19 to um, get down to 205 for whatever reason. I had a hair up my butt that I wanted to compete at 93 kilos. Um, and I got, I dropped ended ended up dropping 45 pounds. And then before COVID started, and I was a little bit away from my goal. I didn't get quite get there. Um, but I wasn't able to keep up with the intensity initially because all the gyms were closed and everything like that. I had some equipment at home, but I really could not keep up with what I was doing. I had zero interest in limiting my calories. So I ended up training, changing my training paradigms and then started working back into building up my strength again, because I, I lost quite a bit of power off of, off of that weight cut kept up with that throughout most of the summer, hit some massive PRs, uh, squatted, uh, deadlifted 600 pounds for the first time, squatted 500 and 505 for the second time in my life at 224 pounds body weight. Um, and I kept going with that, but I really didn't try to, I didn't have a plan that I was following. I was just, you know, training, just working out whatever, and just throwing whatever I wanted to on the bar, ended up tweaking my back. Uh, at the end of August. And then that really kind of set me through a loop. I, I don't think I've ever been injured from working out before. Um, and really it was just stupidity on my part, just over, over training and not really having a plan that I was following. So then now since August, I've been working on trying to raise my, my floor is what I, I call it. I don't remember where I read that term from it. They talk about the article I read was raise your ceiling or raise your floor. So when you're peaking for a powerlifting meet, you're trying to raise your ceiling, to really get those numbers up. Um, whereas raising the floor, it's like, even on your worst day, you should be able to tolerate this much. So that's, that's what I've been focusing on. Now I've been doing six week training blocks, working on, you know, five sets of three for most of my big lifts, um, doing that six weeks at a time and then taking a nice little jump and then trying to let my body accommodate to that new stimulus at the next level. Um, and I picked that six to eight week time frame because that's typically how long it takes for tendon and ligament adaptation to occur. Um, and I think that's where most people, when they start to get injured in their late twenties, it tends to be more tenderness in origin. If it lasts for a longer period of time, you know, everyone pulls muscles, tweaks and all that kind of stuff, but usually those yeah. things they'll recover pretty quickly. So you talk, you were talking about busyness too. So I have a pretty insane yeah. schedule. Uh, I also don't recommend this for anyone else. I go to bed anywhere from eight to 10 to 11 at night. I get up at three, three thirty most days of the week. Uh, have my, have my pre-workout and I sit there and I read for a little bit. So I'm always got my nose in something, um, be it, uh, personal development, business kind of stuff, psychological kind of stuff, or, or, uh, rehabilitation medicine. So 
during co or prior to COVID, I was studying for my board exam for orthopedic specialist. So I was doing that for, for most mornings, I would spend probably an hour and a half, two hours with my nose in the research. And then I would go and do my workout and then go to work and, you know, whatever, have my day. Uh, I got pretty burnt out with reading orthopedic research after that. I, I, yeah. Um, so I transitioned to more just reading different personal development kind of books like Jocko and um, David Goggins and really kind of going into stoicism a little bit now with like some of the stuff that Ryan holidays put out and um, just different things that I've, I've come across over the years. I end up buying books a lot and then just not reading them. So how long have you been getting up at like, how long have you been yeah. for? Yeah. I've been doing that since my son was born for sure. Um, I I've always been more of an early riser than a late night kind of guy um, towards the tail end of college. And I blame that on most of the jobs that I worked. I had weekend jobs that required me to get up early um, all through undergrad and then all through PT school. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm up this early. There's no one else around. There's no distractions. So, you know, why not make productive use of my time? Um, So I've been doing that for years and years and years. I get more done before I start my work day than most people accomplish, you know, with their free time the rest of the day. So I, I, I noticed the results that I get from it and, and it really does help kind of keep me accountable and hold me accountable for my time. Cause nothing ticks me off more than get up extra early to then sit there and just scroll on the gram for, for an hour before I go work out. It's like, oh man, yeah. I just wasted all that time. So yep. I think it's a lot of, it, just, it sounds like it's a lot of really solid structure, you know, and a lot of yeah. really, really intentional just to really, yeah seek that growth out and uh, uh, maybe we'll have to have another roundtable podcast about <laughs> growth in uh yeah. mindset growth stuff like that that'd be sweet. absolutely yeah i um, love going to bed with my kids that's probably my biggest motivator that keeps me on track um you know i nothing good happens after my kids go to sleep so i just like that <laughs> help lay them down and then yeah i'm good i'm checked out for the day so you lift at them like 4 30 or something? uh usually so yeah usually i'm doing some cardio stuff um anywhere from four to four thirty i'll start that um if i'm doing like lower intensity stuff like riding a bike then i'll be doing some reading and stuff well but right now i'm trying to pick up the intensity a little bit more so i i just get my reading out of the way i do my cardio before i go work out it takes me a lot longer to get warm now that i'm almost 30 so really i, I put squats at the end of my workouts and by then I'm finally starting to feel good enough to do it it's just it's weird i never thought i'd get to the stage of my life i remember being 18, 19, go in the gym, throw a bunch of weights on the bar, not warm up and just go squat it. And I'd see all these guys doing all this stuff to warm up. And I'm like, what the hell you're wasting all this time. And I'm like, yeah, I, okay. I get it. Yeah, I get it. So yeah, I do. I do about a half hour cardio and then I start training at five, um, a couple little warm ups and all that kind of stuff. But and then usually I'm done six fifteen to six thirty. So you're a pretty, pretty go get it kind of guy. Do you have anything like, um, in the strength, uh, like with powerlifting, or I know that you're dabbling kind of with Olympic lifting, get, mm-hmm. like would really like to accomplish uh, kind of like bigger picture in the next five, 10 years or anything? Yeah. So Olympic lifting, I kind of picked up just because I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty slow getting out of the hole of squat. So if I can pick up some speed and technique, um, I do Olympic lifting, like I do golf poorly, but I still like to try. Um, <laughs> like so six, yeah, 600 pound deadlift. That was uh, a huge PR for me. I, I, I had an inkling that I could get there, but I didn't really have a plan to do it. And then, you know, kind of, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for COVID and throwing me off of my track for what I was trying to accomplish at that point. Um, I think 
650 uh, for a deadlift would be a pretty big, pretty big one. I'm not sure if I'll get there or not. I really, I'm, I'm interested to see how I finish recovery with my low back. Cause I still, even though I'm not having pain anymore, I still feel somewhat weak in the area that I injured. Um, I know that it'll recover. I know it'll get better and all that kind of stuff, but really just trying to figure out that timeline and all that stuff. I'm, I'm hesitant to say like, yeah, a year from now I want to do this. Um, same thing with squats. I think getting to, to, um, five eighty five would be a really awesome goal. Yeah. Yep. Six plates. So, and then I don't know, my bench press has always been poverty. I've been benching three fifteen since my first competition. I've never put up any higher numbers there. So, um, you know, I, I, I was thinking that, okay, maybe if I do a peak, uh, specific bench press program, maybe I could push it to three sixty five. Um, and if I can get to that, you know, who knows we'll, we'll, if maybe four or five is in the picture or not, but most of my, most of my numbers and all that is just purely vanity. I know I'm not going to accomplish much more at this point, but really. And then now it's just training for longevity so I can keep doing this for the rest of my life. Cause I get so much out of just powerlifting beyond just putting the number that's on the bar. So, and I think it's partially with social media. We're seeing more and more, you know, oh, yeah. a guy who's in his like late sixties cranking out like, 400 pounds for reps or like uh, yeah. there's a guy who was like 85 who was deadlifting 405 for a couple reps. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that we're just, we're just starting to tap the surface with that. So oh, yeah. on the roads, there's going to be like yep. hundreds of people deadlifting over 480. That'd be beautiful. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll tell you what, my ego was a lot greater before I had Instagram um, just because I thought I was pretty strong. And then I sit there and I look at the guys in the, in the 105 kilo class and I, I can't hold a candle yeah. with most of these people. It's like, Holy crap. Um, and then I did actually just out of, just out of curiosity, not, not for any reason whatsoever. Um, look at the, the, uh, master's totals for the one Oh five class. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not even close to that either. <laughs> or I need to make a, uh, you know what they need to do. You need to make like a database. So like, you know, are you familiar with open, uh, open powerlifting? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like a, just a big database of, all, yep. um, information from when people do meets, but, uh, they should make like a, a rehab, rehab, open powerlifting of like, all right, you're going to go see this uh, physical therapist five days. This guy deadlifts 600. You can listen to it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Little, it's, physical therapist, TI squats 135. No. <laughs> yeah. It's uh yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. I will say to find quality in a physical therapist. You know, I, I got a pretty big ego. I like to treat a lot of different things. I like to figure a lot of things out too. So like, if I get a diagnosis across my, my, uh, screen or whatever on my referral section, I'm like, yeah, I know what this is. I, I go and I dive into the research, man. I spent hours and hours and hours looking this thing up. So I'm 100% prepared to see this patient. And, and, um, but still there's, I'm not the guy to go see if you have a running injury and you need running specific technique changes. Like I, yeah, but that being said, I would say 90% of the running injuries that you see out there, you can tell by the training log, same way as I hurt my back. It wasn't that I was squatting with poor technique. It was my volume intensity was way too high. And that doesn't take a super specialized runner with all this knowledge to, to manage. It takes someone that knows how to look at loading principles and parameters and mess with that. So, and that's where I would say I excel at. So, um, yeah. Oh, and I was, where I was going with that, like, yeah, it's, it's tough to find good quality therapists, but you get enough people with enough experience and enough injuries and all that kind of stuff. Like the, the circles aren't that big where you can't find somebody quality near you with, with what you got going on. So. That's great. So just for kind of like a closing thought. Um, so you were talking about like, you know, 
strength branded PTs. Um, and I know that we kind of briefly touched on like Instagram and its influence or just mm. the, uh, anybody was looking just for some just general good like sources of uh, rehab info that they could kind of just read up on. Um, do you have any yeah. recommendations? Yeah. Um, Scott Morrison with Physiopraxis. Oh my gosh. He is, he is a monster of um, content production production. So he's got quite a bit of information out there on a lot of different things. Uh, Physiopraxis is, I think is his brand. Um, but Scott Morrison with one T he's, he's got quite a bit of good information out there. Um, there's another couple of guys that I follow uh, just around on social media, like Jared Hall. He's a pretty good pain science guy. Yeah. yeah they have that podcast that they just started. Yeah, you can keep going. Yeah. There's, um, I don't know. There's too many to really just get into decent shout outs with, with everybody. But yeah, I, I, I cultivated my social media quite a while ago where I, most of my Facebook feed, like I see family and friends certainly, but it's like article after article, after article, <laughs> after article, just, it's really just kind of depends. So, and I have quite a, I have quite a bit of diverse interests. I treat chronic pain predominantly. I would say that's 50 to 60% of my patient population. That's not to say they don't have orthopedic impairments, um, but chronic pain, and that's that's just a different language and a different mindset than, say, a chronic degenerative tendinopathy, you know, patella tendinopathy or something like that. So, um, you know, I'm getting information from all sorts of different sources. I don't, I wouldn't, I'd be hesitant to give more recommendations than I gave for for information, I guess. But well, that's sweet. Yeah, I think we'll definitely have to bring you back sometime while I've like, I'm thinking about yeah. having some kind of a little rehab round table or something like that'd be kind of fun. Like for a sure you stick a quarter in me, man, I won't quit. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, John. Hey, I appreciate the time. Um, I hope that our listeners, you know, enjoy some of this information on rehab and just like I said, just know that there are great PTs out there who can help you with strength and who are very strength minded. And uh, like we said, there's some, some parallels that are starting to be seen with just exertion and trying not to push yourself too hard kind of pushing yourself just right. And uh, like I said, maybe we'll bring up like a rehab roundtable podcast that are on that. I really appreciate the time, John. And uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been good. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me on here. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Midwest Strong Powerlifting Podcast. If you know someone who'd be interested in being on our show, please send us a message at the Midwest PL Podcast on Instagram. Again, thank you for listening and may the gains be with you.